Good morning. In a room this size and viewership from home, it's really beautiful to declare, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, I believe you'll do it again, right? Your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness. But we got to be honest, it's a hot take, but you get it. This is the first, here it is, intro scrap now, here's what you get. In a room this size, some of us are hoping in those words, but maybe, maybe we relate more to the guy in Mark 9 that says to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief, Jesus. Like, I believe that you can move the mountains and I've seen it, but I kind of also don't right now because look around, things are hard. And so if you're watching from home, if you're sitting here and you're singing that song with us, I want you to know that we sing that song together. And so those of us who are just so confident, I've seen you, I saw you move mountains yesterday. Jesus, and I'm pumped. We sing it together. Those of us who are saying, man, I'm like at 2% here. I'm barely uttering those words. In fact, I can't even know those words. I'm just going to look down because this is really hard and I want to believe. And so we're going to start right now and just pray for that. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray because we're about to read a book that's literally titled Yahweh Saves. And so wherever you find yourself, whether you're just 120%, you can move mountains, or you're like 1%, 0.002%. Ah, I can't help my unbelief. I'm struggling. I couldn't even make a church today. I'm just watching from home. I can't, be, I can't handle Wherever you're at, we're going to pray. So uh, let's pray together right now. Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. As your body, unified in you by your spirit, we pray that you would give us a continual filling of your power, of your spirit, of your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all the things even beyond words, God. We ask that you would meet us and grow us to you, to the image of Jesus. Guide us as we read your word, as we make sense of, of Joshua. Help us to believe that you save, Yahweh saves. Thank you for your great love for us. We see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Amen. If you could grab your Bible, we're going to be in Joshua, and we're going to kind of bounce all around. But if you open to Joshua, and you just start flipping, you'll, you'll feel us as we kind of walk through each of these stories. And I would encourage you, if some of these stories stand out to you, like, Read it this week. Wrestle with it. We're uh, going through the whole Bible this year as a church. We're reading it every day. There's some readings, usually somewhere between three to four chapters a day. Uh, there's a lot of helpful videos, and there's a podcast that we kind of follow that explains it every day. If you've missed out on that, and you're just like, I have no idea what to do, then we're finishing up Joshua and starting Judges this next week. So pick it up. Pick up Judges. We can get you caught up. But God wants you to read His Word. The Bible is one complete narrative. It's one unified story that points to King Jesus. And every week we discover that. We say, man, what is this thing? And so maybe you've got a friend that's never read the Bible, right? Or they don't, they don't believe or they struggle. This would be a good time to invite them in. Say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Like, let's read this together. Let's figure out. Man, if, <laughs> I want to say this every week. If there is a God, this is just logic, right? Philosophy. If there is a God and He's trying to communicate with you, and people talk about the Bible being that communication quite a bit. What, what, this is your shot. What do you got to lose? Like the worst case scenario is the God who created you actually wants to say something to you and you should listen. Right? Like, come on. 
Like, I mean, or, or you discover with all of us that this is nothing and we're wasting our time. Nah, come on. Like, this is worth it. God's trying to talk to us. And so let's read his word. We're getting into it. We're talking about it every week and letting his spirit guide us as we teach. We, here's, here's the thing. Here's kind of my caveat for Joshua. We just can't cover everything. Joshua raises so many questions, just like the, the Torah, right? There's so many questions it raises, and the author isn't interested in answering all your questions. Uh, and that's not blind, ignorant faith. That's just, you have to understand the Bible is written for us, right? And so we need to read it and we need to understand what it's trying to tell us. It's not uh, written. It, it's a book of books, right? It's, it's a library. And so we're kind of reading through this to see how it all points to Jesus. So if we're talking about this and there's things, man, I was just sitting with grandma last night, not my grandma, my kid's grandma. I call her grandma because that's what they call her. She's not my grandma. But like sometimes you have these conversations and like people can, you read this and you might have this passage of like, man, God seems kind of, kind of mean, right? I'm just going to, I'm going to look at your eyes because some of you are going to, you, you, you've read Judges, right? Okay, so you read this, you think, oh, come on, let's be honest with it. If you're struggling with this, if you're reading this, you're thinking, this does not sound like Jesus, the one who loves everyone and gives hugs and kisses to butterflies, like whatever your imp- implication is. Like, if, it does, if you're confused, let's talk about it because this is God's word and it's all pointing to Jesus. And so if, I, if there's something I don't cover, if you still have questions, please come and talk to us about it. That's why we're here, right? We're going to, one of the points we make later on is that we're all unified together to follow Christ, right? We're unified together. Joshua's story of unity around the word. And so we need to be that together. We need to walk through that. Anyway, here we're getting into it. Uh, A crash course in where we've been so far. God created everything and said it was good. And we decided to rebel and do our own thing, right? We said we can go our own way. We don't need to follow God. We're going to rebel. Insert sin, death, corruption. You have all these things. In Genesis 3, the serpent said, you could be like God. You could decide good from evil. So it's like, yeah, okay, I want that. I want to do that, which is kind of the mantra of all of our lives, right? This is what it means to be human. We want to be God. We want to decide good from evil. And then Genesis 6, God, God outright says their hearts are set on evil. Like they are just corrupt to the core. Their hearts are set on evil. They're constantly, and the Bible tells us later on, that we create new ways to rebel against God and rebel against us. It's our posture. We want to do our own thing. But God selects Abraham. Um, he, he selects him uh, to be his own people that he would save and draw the whole world to himself and make things right. Genesis 12, 1, God says this to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, now he was called Abraham at the time, don't get confused. Go from your country to your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's plan. He's going to make it all right through this family who obeys him, who seeks him. So Abraham's family grows and becomes the nation of Israel, right? And that's where the story's been. It's the nation of Israel. We're following them. And they've got such a wild story, man. They get uh, in captivity and slave for Egypt for a long time. And then Moses and ten plagues and burning bushes and hornets. Three different times. Hornets are used to drive people out in Scripture. Did you know that? Blew my mind. I've been studying that recently. And by that, I mean I spent like ten minutes on it. But super interesting. Hornets. Whoa! Anyway, so uh, Egypt happens. <laughs> so distracting. You just try to imagine though, like telling your friends, dude, we lived in this place and then all the hornets came and now we don't live there. How many hornets would it take to get you to leave your house? Not many, right? Not many. There's, yeah, just one, right? And so hornet, oh, anyway, gosh, that's not even my notes. I just remembered it. The hornets in the Bible. Look it up. It's crazy. But all these things happen in Egypt and they get to Mount Sinai and God gives him his covenant and his commands. 
613 laws, follow me, here's what it means to be my people. And through you, we talked about, you will be priests, you'll be liaisons, everyone will see you and they'll come to know me. And then we talked later on about how they'll be prophets, the spirit will enter them and they'll speak the words of God, prophets and priests. This is God's plan. He's going to use these people if they obey him. So then they leave, they wander in the wilderness, tons of stories of just just not following, complaining, disobedience. And then we get to this moment here where Moses, last week we talked about, he gives them the book of Deuteronomy, right? The words is what it's called in Hebrew, and he teaches them, hey, this is your story. Love God. The word love is used most in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. He says, love God. Hear, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he says, write it on your forehead and your wrists and everywhere so people know. Love the Lord. This is what Moses says. And then Moses says, but you're not going to do it. It's a really terrible locker room speech. He says, this is what you should do, but you're going to mess it up. Now Moses dies. And insert Joshua. And now we're in the book of Joshua. Yay. How was that for summary? I'm working every week on getting that cut down. It's tough, right? Six, seven books, eight, nine books. I don't know how many we've read now, but it's, it's tough. So here we are in the book of Joshua. And so the Israelites are right on the edge of the promised land. God promised Abraham, this is the land I'm going to give you. He kept telling the Israelites, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have this land. This is going to be your place and you're going to dwell. It's Eden language. You're going to be with me in a right relationship. You're going to have this land. It's all this coming back, this idea of Genesis 1 and 2 when things were right. You're going to have Eden. So they're waiting on the edge of the promised land. Moses dies, and Joshua is appointed leader. Uh, there's several things we can point out about Joshua. I had like five points about his leadership and things about it. We scrapped that. We'll talk about that another time. We want to talk more broadly about this book. Uh, we're going to talk about the word Joshua. Raise your hand if you have a son named Joshua. Okay, just making sure. So who knows what the name Joshua means? I already said it. Yeah, Yeshua, yeah, Yeshua, right? So, Yeshua, Yeshua, and if you keep saying Yeshua fast enough, right, you end up with Yeshua, like they shortened it, right? And then you get Jesus in Latin, and then somehow in America we get Jesus. So you get it. So anyway, but what is it? I spoiled that too. Now I'm going to ask you later on, who else is called Joshua? The answer is Jesus. But that's okay. So what does the name mean? Yahweh saves. I worked all week on making sure I could write Yahweh without messing it up. Yahweh saves. Boom. Say Yahweh saves. Say it again. Yahweh saves. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. You can condense everything I'm about to say. Yahweh saves. You can condense the whole Bible. Yahweh saves. And it begs questions like why and who is Yahweh, but Yahweh saves. That's what this book is called. Joshua. So we read it as Joshua, and we think about our favorite Joshua. Right? There's a guy at the gym I like to work out with. His name's Joshua. Uh, some people's sons are named Joshua. We import our understanding of Joshua. Hebrews read this book. Yahweh saves. This is the book of Yahweh saves. That's important. It helps you give a kind of a, a boundary on how you read it. Here's a crash course in the book of Joshua. They enter the promised land, right? There's a new leadership. And then he sends out spies again. There's this spy thing that happens. And then we meet Rahab. More on that in a minute. A faith-filled prostitute. I mean all those words. Super weird. We're going to talk about her a lot. And then they cross the Jordan. That's an interesting. That's a huge symbolism there. They cross the Jordan. The water's part. It's a big deal, right? And then they have circumcision and Passover. Then they defeat a bunch of enemies. So many people. They're just like wrecking people, right? Uh, Joshua meets with the commander of the Lord's army. A lot of debate there. Who's that guy? Gosh, talk about that a long time, but we don't for now. But Joshua meets with this person. It's like, are you, are you for us or against us? Man, I'm, I'm for the Lord, right? So, oh, it's a big story, big story there. Anyway, then the walls of Jericho come down. You guys have heard that? Like, brrr, 
You know that story? I imagine like one of the first things in my mind, I remember like Nikki teaching our kids um, Bible stuff. And I have this picture of like Cohen being so young and having a, a toilet paper roll up to your face. All of you children ministry people are like, that's, yes, that's, that's it. What is a trumpet? It's a toilet paper roll. That's where you're going. And he's just marching around the ottoman. Just, ah. So anyway, so this is Jericho. That happens. And then you got the story of AI or IE, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And Achan, say Achan. Oh, man, we're going to talk about that guy. Dang it. And then you get the Gibeonites. Super weird story, right? Like, I've, I've listened to so many people teach about the story. And you have some people teach the Gibeonite story as like, look at these deceivers. They're deceiving. And the, story, the answer is you just got to pray about things before you make. Yeah, maybe that story's there. Here's the cool thing. Does God save the Gibeonites? Yahweh saves. And what do the Gibeonites ultimately do? The Gibeonites ultimately submit to the Lord. Are they insiders or outsiders? They're outsiders. And, and so they're supposed to come into this land and drive out all the Canaanites, right? They're supposed to drive out. This is God's land. He's given them a lot of war, blood, death, violence. But then you have Rahab and the Gibeonites. And you're like, well, hold on. God's doing something here. Rahab and the Gibeonites are our people. We get them. We relate to them. So if you, if you miss most of Joshua, go back and read Rahab. Go ahead and read the Gibeonites and compare them. Think, man, what's going on here? What's God doing? He's welcoming outsiders. Because Israel was always supposed to be a blessing for the world, to bring them in. And so those stories God put in here to remind us, oh man, God's not just about blood and conquest and stab them till they bleed. That's not what the point is. You have the Gibeonites, you have Rahab, you have these people that God saves, Yahweh saves. They're supposed to be prophets and priests, and we see that in those stories. And then uh, you get several chapters. I don't know if, if you read it, you're just like, so many lists of this king, this king, this king, and then all the distribution of land. Did anyone draw your own map? nerds. Yeah, who did that? Did you look at a map, though? It's interesting, like, how they disperse it. And so you get there, like, man, why is all this land stuff here? Fulfillment. God did it. We're going to get to that here in a minute. And then it ends with Joshua's locker room speech. It's his sermon. He says, obey the Lord and love him. Hmm, turns out. That's it. That's Joshua. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, we want to dig into some things here. I wanted to give a crash course of Joshua, so you kind of understand all of Joshua is about Yahweh saves, Yahweh fulfills his promises, right? They see what he's done, and they see him fulfill it. It's just a constant pattern for them. I want to talk about Rahab and Achan because those are the stories that stood out to me that I can't get past. Rahab, here's the story. They send these spies into Jericho, and Jericho's fortified. They're all afraid, and, and all these Canaanites, they're coming together, and they're like, man, we've heard that Israel comes and wrecks people. <laughs> That's what we've heard. So we ain't going to be wrecked. We're just going to fortify and hide. And, and, you know, they don't have uh, catapults and uh, whatever the big, like, thing is in Lord of the Rings where they crash down walls and get in. So they can't, there's nothing. They can't just break into the city. So then they're thinking we're going to be protected in the city. So they send spies in. And these spies end up being housed by Rahab, who's a prostitute. She's a Canaanite prostitute. And that's so, like, we... I feel like sometimes I have to desensitize myself when I read these stories because you've just heard, oh, she, Rahab's a woman of faith. Yes. And we read it and we just overemphasize how great she is. But you, she's not great at all. That's the point. Like, like she's, she's faithful and that's it. Like, and that's more than enough. But what happens is sometimes we read the story and we forget her background. She was supposed to be destroyed. She was supposed to be uh, a congress. She was supposed to be driven out. She was a part of the people that were doing child sacrifices and all these immoral sexual things. All these, all, she was a part of that culture. She was literally a part of it as a prostitute. That's who she was defined as. She would have potentially attended child sacrifices. She was, I mean, she was a Canaanite woman, right? And we just we say, oh, but she was a faithful Rahab. Now, hold on. First understand, she was a rough cat. 
She wasn't a, she wasn't a great person. But then she has this thing she says I think it's really fascinating. Look in uh, Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 11. She says, we've heard of all that the Lord has done. I heard about you guys coming through the river, and we heard about how you took over these kings. And in verse 11, she says, and as soon as we heard about all the things the Lord has done, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The entire issue that we're about to read in the rest of the Bible is that people don't believe that. Even God's own people, they don't believe that. They start mixing gods. They say a little bit of this and a little bit of that. We can worship the Lord, but then we can also worship our country. We can also worship our sports. We can also worship our ideal family. We can also worship our favorite things to eat. Whatever it is, right? We can worship these other things. Our desires for money and security, right? Of course, they had separate things as well that represented those things like uh, Asheroth and Baal and and these other gods that uh, represented uh, sexual promiscuity and... uh, the word where you're fertile, fertility, that's the word, uh, the fertility gods and things like that. Like they had these things they worshiped, right? And then Rahab comes and says, hold on. For the Lord your God, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Who else has God delivered? Israel. Same language, right? Yahweh saves. And so Rahab comes into this. Again, if you're reading this, it should be so shocking. Wait, wait, this gal? Canaanite prostitute thinks this? Like, she's the one that's going to be, like, there. also, there's very few actual names mentioned in Joshua, very few actual characters, right? Um, there, there's a few, right? But um, the, usually, a lot of the characters given, they represent an entire chasm of understanding, how we understand the story. And so we're going com- to compare Rahab to Achan here in a minute. But Rahab comes from nothing. But she says, no, this God we've heard about, to the best of my understanding, he's above everything. And so can, can you spare us? Can you deliver us? And they do. When they besiege the city, these spies are in, responsible for making sure that her and her family is safe. And then you know what happens? Her family gets to live with Israel, gets to follow them. Rahab looks to the Lord and trusts him, to, to her ability, right? We didn't even know. Like, did she know, did she know all of the stories? No, nah, she didn't know all the stories. She knew God was above all. And, of course, they continued to teach her who Yahweh was because that's what they did. They're prophets and priests. But Rahab looked to the Lord, and he saved her. More, more than that, do you know, uh, you know Rahab's mentioned in the New Testament? Who uh, Bible nerd people? What books of the Bible is Rahab mentioned? We won't write them here. Just what books? There, there's three books in the New Testament she's mentioned in. Matthew. Matthew. What else? No. That's okay. Think about... The, uh, the heroes of faith. Hebrews 11, right? You know the other one? Super weird. This surprised me. James, the brother of Jesus, writes about Rahab. Now, again, catch this. First of all, she's mentioned by Jewish people who are writing in the New Testament to say, hey, here's an example of faith. Both in Hebrews and in James, she's mentioned as someone who had faith and acted upon it. That's the point of her story, right? Canaanite prostitute. All of us are reading it. Now, to this day, we're reading about her, talking about her faith, how she looked to God. But she's also mentioned in Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus. Catch this. In the redemptive story of how God is bringing Israel to fulfill His promises, 
He uses a Canaanite prostitute. Yahweh saves. And then later on, when God is choosing to complete his entire mission to save the world and make things right, through Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he uses a Canaanite prostitute. Rahab is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. The message here is pretty clear. I'm going to spell it out for you anyway. It doesn't matter where you're from or your past, or how awful you think you are. You think Rahab, when she was like, save my family, your God is bigger, I trust in you, I, this is the best of my understanding, please don't kill all of us, We're, we want to seek your God. Do you think she was thinking, and they shall write about me for centuries, and I shall be a part of the Messiah? She had no idea. You have no idea the ripple of your faith and obedience, because it's God's story. And so many of us are so wrapped up in our idea of what is God's will for my life and what is my personal salvation, what am I doing? And evil has subtly shifted your entire idea, your paradigm for faith and Christianity and what it means to be a Christian into it ultimately being about you being God and you deciding what's good from evil. And you, you baptize it a little bit into this Christian language. You come to church, you go, but you completely miss out on this submission that says, no, no, no. I know this Lord. Your Lord is above all. He is everything. He's above all other gods. And I submit to Him. I'm going to obey Him. And if God can take this ridiculous human that no one would ever say, oh, this is the point of the story. This is the hero. If God can take a faithful Canaanite prostitute and ripple her story all the way through the Messiah, all the way as an example of faith through the end of the New Testament, why do you think that God's not interested in your life? Why do you believe? Why are you so arrogant to think that, that you're going to figure out your own life or that God's not interested in you? We play both games. I've got it all figured out. I understand my scripture, my fundamentals, what God wants, or I'm useless. I'm too far gone from this. Here's the message. If God can use Rahab, then he can certainly use all of us, and he is. That's his plan. We are all prophets and priests. We're called by His Spirit to be transformed in Him and to be like Jesus. And so no matter where you think you've been, no matter how good you think you've been, we'll talk about Achan here in a minute. He comes from, he comes from good stock, right? It doesn't matter because it's all about who God is and what He's doing. God's using all of us. I think it's so fascinating that God orchestrated that Rahab's story be right at the beginning here to say, hey, we're supposed to be driving out all these awful people, these sexually sinful, baby-killing people. They're so, we're going to kill them all. But the first one that says, hey, I, I want to have faith in the Lord, mentions all through the Bible. It's incredible. What grace. That's what, that's what the Lord's love looks like. Look to Him. Listen and obey Him. Love the Lord. Sin ripples and corrupts everyone around you. And we've also been in this life, just as much as we think it's my personal salvation, my personal life, my personal this and that. Man, your sin affects everyone around you. This is why the Bible goes to great lengths to express we're one body, one people, one body, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father, above all is in all. We are one in the Spirit. Your parenting affects my parenting. Your devotion to the Lord affects my devotion to the Lord. We're one body. And it, how else could it be? Do we really think we're going to get to heaven? And God's going to start having caste systems of, oh, well, you were 70% faithful and you were 22% faithful. And you, come on! This isn't America. That's not the kingdom. God says, no, no, no. It's King Jesus. He's the authority. He's the one that puts everything on. The Lord says, I am the Lord your God. Love me. So we get in these situations where we think like, man, we're somebody. And my sin is just my own thing. If I confess my sin. But the word says, if we confess our sin. I can't emphasize that enough in hopes that we'd actually live like that. Best thing that could ever happen to me. 
seemingly. One of the best things that ever happened to me is if all of a sudden the microphone cut out and there's on the screen before you, it just played all my deepest, darkest sins, the things I try so hard to hide, the things I don't want any of you to know, the awful thoughts I've even had this morning and anger and hurt that I had to pray against because I don't want to be as dark and corrupt as I can be sometimes. And you just all know. You know how awful David is. And then you start immediately writing up the severance package and getting rid of Pastor David because he turns out he's awful, right? You're all work personnel teams huddling together in the corner. They're like, did you see that video? Where'd that come from? But then all I could say is Jesus must be who he says he is. That the Lord must be Yahweh saves. Because although my sin is great, I have a great Savior. And my sin ripples deep. And I need to quit hiding it. I need to quit pretending like like I can sow a suit of fig leaves and and pretend like that's not. Because that doesn't point to anyone but me. Achan was doing it for himself. He's pointing it back to him. We see this ripple in Scripture. It's kind of a micro story of Genesis 3. He could be God. He could decide good from evil. And Israel, they respond as they should actually. They say, no, we, we're, we're none of that. We're going to obey the Lord. But when you compare and contrast Achan and Rahab, you see this interesting story that God takes sin very, very seriously, but He's constantly welcoming us in, forgiving us, and wanting us to be in a right relationship with Him. And so you have this extreme of Achan, who's from the tribe of Judah, who's this really prominent guy, Man, sin corrupts him and everyone around him, ruins his whole family. It doesn't matter where he's from, how Israel he is. Right? Rahab, absolutely un-Israel. She's a Canaanite prostitute. Yet she's mentioned all through the rest of Scripture. I think there's a message to us there about who the Lord is and His love and grace for us. It doesn't matter where you're from, how awesome you think you are. It doesn't matter how awful your story is. It's all about the Lord. Yahweh saves, not you. There are three main takeaways that I want us to have as we finish up the book of Joshua. Um, First one, Joshua portrays portrays God's faithfulness. Joshua is a story that just overemphasizes to us how faithful the Lord is. One of my favorite verses that stood out to me as I was reading it was uh, Joshua 21, 43 uh, through 45. They're distributing the land and talking about different things that happens. And Joshua writes this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on everything every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all the enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. The Lord is faithful. This is the constant story of Scripture. Look to the Lord. Look what he's done. I've seen you move. You move the mountains. Therefore, I can believe you'll do it again. This is the story of Joshua. Look what he's done. All the promises. They're done. Look what the Lord can do. Joshua calls us to remember God's faithfulness. It's not just portraying it. It wants us to remember, to talk about it. This is why Joshua repeats it, just like Moses. He tells the story at the end again. You read it again. You're like, oh my gosh, I just read the story. I read the long version, then I read the Moses version, now I read the Joshua version. It's like I never stop hearing the story. Why? Because they're going to forget it. Look at Joshua 23, starting in verse 6. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of their name of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and you make marriages with them, so that you associate with them, and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, 
a whip on your side and thorn in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. This is the tension. Why? Why do they need to remember? Why do they remember God's faithfulness? Because they're prone to forget. They're prone to want to be like God themselves. They're prone to be Achan. There's Achans amongst them. Amongst all the Rahab type people, there's Achan people. Says, I'm going to do this my own way. And Joshua, just like Moses, just like Abraham, all these people before them, they're pleading, please remember and look to what the Lord has done. Because if you forget, it's going to be a snare and trap for you. And that's the tension for the rest of the Bible. They've got corrupt hearts, as Genesis 6 says. And they're, going to, they're supposed to look to the Lord. Are they going to do it? Nah. We read Moses. Moses already said, you're not going to do this. And we have Joshua, all these good stories of good things happening. But ultimately, Adam's going to preach next week about Judges. And if you were with us last year, we read through the book of Judges. They do exactly the opposite of what Joshua's time to do. They mix things. Man, that mixing could take another hour of conversation for us. I wish we could talk about The struggle in your life isn't about are you going to serve God or become an atheist tomorrow. That's actually, that's not evil's main game in your life. Look at me, Christian. If you claim to be a Christian, your main struggle is your mixing. Evil doesn't need you to just stop believing in God. He needs to just start inserting every little thing that is slowly more important than God. And then you look around and you realize, man, there's, there's nothing about my life that would point to loving the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. There's nothing about my life that makes me markedly different. Nothing that makes me a priest. Nothing that makes me a prophet. There's actually nothing in me that changes anything because everything's mixed. And then it affects your kids, your friends, your family. And then we have a culture full of Christian being nothing, meaningless. What does it mean to be a Christian? Come on doesn't mean anything to follow Jesus if we don't live like Jesus. It doesn't mean anything to follow Yahweh. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves from what? You're just like me. What does that mean? Your struggle is mixing. My struggle is mixing. 80-20, like I mix my deer meat with my beef fat, a little bit of this, you know. It's the mixture in our lives. Joshua warns, it's going to mess you up. Don't do that. So they don't do it. They struggle. They fail. We forget, we struggle, we fail. But Joshua, Yeshua, say Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. Matthew 121 will be up on the screen. The angel speaks to Mary, says, hey, this, this, this birth that you're having, you're, you're a virgin, you're, you're going to give birth, this child, this is from the Holy Spirit. In the next verse, verse 21, he says, you shall give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. You will give him the name Yahweh saves because Yahweh saves will save his people from his sins. You catch it? Jesus will save his people from their sins. God in the flesh coming down. 2 Corinthians 2.20 says all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus Christ. All the promises. What Joshua just said all these promises God's fulfilled. Every promise from the Messiah on. From that. There's a scholar that, uh, that wrote this talking about Jesus and Joshua that I, I thought was really helpful, uh, Andy Patton. He wrote, similar to Joshua, Jesus came to drive evil out of his creation. But unlike Joshua, Jesus' weapons were wisdom, love, and sacrifice. In the book of Joshua, God has triumphed in Canaan despite the death and violence of battle. In Jesus, God triumphed over death itself because of the violence he endured. Joshua brought victory at the expense of his enemy's blood. But Jesus 
bought victory for his enemies through the shedding of his own blood. Joshua, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. He dies after leading Israel into the promised land. He's dead. Joshua's dead. Catch that. The whole book we just read, Joshua, he's dead, right? And then after that, sin and death ripple. It's everywhere. There's no hope. They just keep struggling. They have all this stuff heaped on them. They get driven out. They get taken over. But Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. He is born, as the prophets say, the Messiah. He saves His people from their sin. He dies. And then He raises again. Eternally defeating Satan, sin, and death. Jesus Christ is alive. Yahweh saves. Jesus is alive. That's our hope. These people are looking to Joshua. Say, hey, hey, Yahweh saves. Lead us in the promised land. You and I, we know their story. We've got the same corrupt hearts they do. We're just like Achan. We're like Rahab. We're far off. But we look to Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And through Jesus' blood, through His life, all the promises of God find their amen. He will save His people from their sins. Joshua shows us God's faithfulness. Joshua calls us to remember. And lastly, Joshua calls God's people to unity. Why? Why does he call us to unity? Because we're going to forget. We're going to struggle. Joshua's a story of actually God's people kind of following the right way. They come together. They do the right thing. They're following him. They, they, when things like Achan happen, they all bind together. There's actually this really weird story in the end about raising an altar. Gosh, you should read. It's so fascinating. Interesting message for the church. And they all get drawled up, and they're going to like wreck this other tribe. And then they say, oh, it's actually just miscommunication. We are worshiping God. It's really confusing, right? But then there's this hint here still of, wait, are you mixing, though? Are you supposed to do this? Right? But they're trying. They call to unity. And we see people, outsiders, these prophets and priests like Rahab, they're coming in. The Gibeonites, they're coming in. We are called to the same unity, unified in Christ, unified by His Spirit. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of age. Yahweh saves. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Man, we've already talked about this mixing. I just, church, hear me. If you're a committed member of Memorial, I want to push on you. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Do you know that you're called to be a prophet and a priest? You're called to speak the words of God? If the Holy Spirit's in you, that should be coming out of you. Do you know that, that you are called to connect those outside? There are Rahabs in your life. There are so many people who are far from God. Pray that the Spirit moves your heart to compassion for them. May we not walk these streets and go about our day and drive and go to the market and buy our coffee and and do our Walmart shopping. May we not pass all these people who we're called to love and bring in. May we not pass them apathetically. So many people, they don't know Jesus. And we're passing by like like we've got the secret and we're just going to hold on to it because we figured it out. We're going to bury it in our tent. It's just for us. It's not what God's called us to. God's calling people like Rahab in. He's not calling us to be people like Achan who hide. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Pray for them. We also pursue love and obedience together in Christ. Again, just like we see the Israelites coming together. I want you to see this connection of Jesus' teachings. In Matthew 1, you have this interesting thing that says, Yahweh saves. He will save His people from their sins. Yahweh saves. Matthew 22, Jesus teaches the greatest commandment. Do you know what that is? 
We talked about it at length last week. Jesus teaches, love the Lord your God. He's asked, what is the greatest commandment? 613 laws plus all the ones we've added to it. Jesus, tell us which one's the most important so we can follow it. We've got to know. We've got to be good little Pharisees. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. One commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord. Inextricable from each other, together. <laughs> Can't do one without the other, as Jesus teaches. And then, he goes on, Matthew 20, to give us the Great Commission. Hey, are you loving people? Do you believe Yahweh saves? Are you loving others and loving God? Then you must be going, because He has all authority, and He's with us always. We do this together because we struggle to forget. I can't not mention every week we need each other. Look around. We need each other because we're going to struggle. We're going to forget. We need real relationships with each other in which we really confess our sins and pray for another so that we'll be healed, James 5, 16, so that we really share in Christ Jesus as one, unified by His Spirit. Because God hasn't just called you to pull you out of hell so that He can just have you, just His precious little person. He's called us to be together. He calls you into community, into His kingdom, His church, His body. All sorts of references for that. 1 Corinthians 12, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. If you're taking notes, those are for you. We struggle to forget we need each other. Here's the ultimate hope. I'm going to read Revelation 21, and then we're going to move into celebrating Passover together, or the Lord's Supper. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You need to go home, you need to get on your knees, and you need to pray. I believe you're making all things new. I don't see it, and I struggle to believe it. And you don't understand these things going on, God, but your word says you're making all things new. And I'm going to hold to Yahweh saves, to King Jesus. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Which is the second death. God will punish the wicked. If you don't know Jesus, you are wicked. And it's hard to say that out loud because I love you. I care about you. And I don't want to be the guy that says really mean things and hurts people's feelings because that's my personality. I'm an emotional bro. But the truth is that one day, God will separate those who are wicked. And he has to be. A loving father can't not do that. How does he love you who he's welcomed and called to be his own if he still allows all the junk to corrupt you and kill you and mess you up? He has to separate it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good. This isn't some fantasy. This isn't some, well, maybe when I'm old and I die, I can start thinking about this. The old people in the room would say, hey, that happens like that. 
You're old tomorrow. Welcome to it, kid. Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus, you will be separated from him eternally. You will die. And we can work out all theologically what that means, but ultimately, it's not what you want. It's not what God created you for. And the scripture here tells us, compares to fire, death, separation from God. But Yahweh saves. And so we have this tension in scripture. We have the God who loves us enough to punish the wicked and the things that don't fit well for us because we want the Jesus who just says, love everyone. And then it hurts. The God says, oh, I'm going to punish the wicked and they'll be in the lake of fire. But then we have this God that constantly says, Yeshua, Yeshua, Jesus, Yahweh saves. How is he saving? He will save his people from his, their sins. God will punish the wicked. We are all wicked. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so... We are made righteous through Jesus. That's why scripture tells us, for your sake he made him be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you believe in him? Are you unified with his believers to grow in him? Are you cowboying it up, trying to do it yourself? This is the message. Be a part of the church. Give your life to Jesus. These are things we're going to preach every week because we need to be reminded of it. In Joshua 5, they celebrate Passover right as they enter in the promised land before they start going to war and wrecking people and God gave them the land. They celebrate Passover to remember who the Lord is and what he's done. Passover was when God passed over, right? He said, paint the lamb's blood on the doorpost and the angel Lord will pass over you. Yahweh will save you. He'll redeem you. He'll deliver you. That's the language that's used there. And so they celebrate Passover to remember the God who's rescued and redeemed them. The night before Jesus died, he, uh, he was celebrating Passover with his disciples. Matthew 26. It'll be on the board here. Matthew 26, Jesus said... Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup, and we had given thanks. He gave them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 1, 20, Yahweh saves. His name will be Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sin. When Jesus is celebrating Passover, he says, drink this. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. Here in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It's a time for us to remember all the Lord has done, how He rescued the Israelites, all the ways we've seen Him move, but most specifically, what Jesus says here. It's my blood. You can't do it on your own. You are far from God like Rahab. you got no shot in the world. Death is coming for you, sin. It's going to wreck the city, and everyone's going to be destroyed. And you'll be separated from God. But Jesus says... Yahweh saves. Yeshua says, this is the blood, my blood of the covenant, poured out for the fear of sins. Jesus died, took on your sin, and rose again. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to move into a time of response. There's several things you can do during that time of response. You can come talk to me. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord. You say, man, I don't know Jesus in this way. I don't, I don't like this language of, of being separated from God, and I want to understand what you're talking about with no more tears and no more suffering and no more pain and being with God forever. Maybe we need to talk about that. Maybe you need to join the church because you realize, man, we need each other. And I'm just, I'm not committed to that. I need the body of Christ in my life because I'm going to forget. 
If you're a believer, I would invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. You can come and get the elements up here while we're singing the song, and then we'll walk through reading the Scripture and, and taking the elements together. Scripture tells us to examine ourselves, tells us to look upward and inward and outward. We've put a slide up that will explain all those things. But take a moment to remember. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. We do this together as the church to remember it's King Jesus who we worship. Only in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray your spirit would guide us as we, we look to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we look to you. Help us remember. I keep thinking about how your word tells us that your spirit will teach us all things and, and bring to memory all that you've taught us. I pray right now your spirit would move and we would remember in new depths, in old depths, and in all the ways that we need to remember who you are, Father, the things you've done, that your promises still stand, that you're faithful, that you love us. I pray that your spirit would move in us a posture that loves you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loves our neighbors, ourselves, as one body, unified together in you. Guide us as we respond right now, Father. If there's someone that doesn't know you, I pray that your spirit would move boldness in them to trust you with their life. Thank you for these stories in Scripture that continually teach us about your love, your grace, your justice, your judgment. May your spirit guide us as we make sense of these things and as we respond to you. Amen.